everybody doing today? Welcome to What Would Kay Say? I am your host, Kay Edwards. Here we are. It's spring, people. Happy spring. Can you believe it? This year has been a whirlwind for sure. Things are progressing just as God would have it. And can I tell you something? I am enjoying every moment of it. Seriously, I'm actually getting to that place where I'm waking up by the grace of God, looking in expectation as to what God has in store for me. Now, don't get me wrong. Some days it is challenging for sure. But most days I smile because in the end, I'm looking to understand the lesson that he is trying to teach me. Now, let me tell you guys, if you are truly walking in your calling and purpose as to why you were created, you too can experience the joy that I'm having right about now. I believe I'm getting to that part in my life where I finally gotten to the place where I can say that the peace of the Lord, well, you know what? Let me say it as Paul said it, Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. Now that's as usual, the New King James Version. But when I think about that scripture, the peace of God, that even though things are going on crazy around you, in your little sanctuary, you could still have peace. You can still have peace. And it reminds me of, and I always laugh when I think about this story, when Jesus had just finished serving the two loaves and the five fish, 
and you know they were saying how he multiplied the food because they didn't have enough enough food for all the people to eat after he had preached and he told the disciples to get into the boat because we're going to go to the other side now mind you they get into the boat and now of course after and I know exactly how he was feeling because after I do a show when I'm doing a show where I'm really pouring myself out into whatever he's given me to say you are tired after you're done. So I could just imagine Jesus had preached to the masses, right? So they get in the boat and they go into the other side and they hit a storm. And the storm was like throwing the boat to and fro up and down. You know how storms get when you're on a boat. Because even when you're on a ship sometime, when it storms come, it feel like that ship that you're on is like a little rowboat. So they're actually probably in some type of rowboat of some sort, but, or a fisherman's boat, but they're in it and the storm is taking them up and down, up and down. But Jesus is laying in the back, sleeping. He is just like out for the count. And they're like, what? How could you sleep when this storm is raging like this? Don't you care that we perish? So they woke him up and it's like, okay, he gets up, he calms the storm. You know, he's like, peace be still. And then he's looking at them like ye of little faith. Like I couldn't even get my sleep on because you guys were so afraid that something was going to happen to you. But he was right there in the boat with them. And that should have let them know if he was sleeping in the back of the boat, then nothing was going to happen. Nothing was going to happen. And sometimes in our life, we have to think about that as well. When things are going on around us and it seems like we're being tossed to and fro and we can't understand what is actually happening to us, all we have to remember is, you know what? Jesus is sleep either sleeping right there where we are or he's standing right there watching like, okay, what are you going to do? I'm right here with you. And we always have to remember that regardless of what's going on in our life, he's always there. So now don't get me wrong. I haven't always been able to speak with this conviction, right? But it feels so wonderful to truly allow God to direct my path without questioning what is coming next. And I've always been, now, you know, I've, I've told you guys this story all the time. As soon as he would tell me something, I wanted it broken down. Okay. When is this going to happen? How am I going to do this? How do you expect me to do this? Why would you want me to do this? Do I really have to do this? I had a million and one questions for him, but I'm getting to the point now. And as you know, I told you guys before, little by little, I was getting to the point where it was like, okay, if he told me to do it, I would do it. I would just do it. I was a little apprehensive, but I would do it. But now I've finally I won't say completely because that would be a lie because I haven't completely gotten there yet where it don't cross my mind. The thing of it is now, I don't let everything that crossed my mind leave from my lips. And that's what I'm learning. That's exactly what I'm learning to just allow God to direct my path without questioning what is coming next. I'm learning to walk. Like I said last week, I have my faith, but my faith is nothing if I just stand in one spot. I have to move my feet in order to go where my faith is supposed to lead me. I have to put one foot in front of the other, walk and let God show me where to go. So I'm finally, 
I'm getting there. Let's just put it that way. Because, <laughs> see, now I said it, but now I'm trying to backpedal. Oh, no, I'm not going to backpedal. I have gotten to the point where he tells me something. He tells me what to do. I might get a question in my mind. I try to fight the urge to have a question. But I, even if I get a question in my mind, I do not allow that question to pass my lips. I keep it as a thought. So that's progress for me. That's definitely progress for me, right? So now what was I going to say? Oh, when we think about it, I know, I know for a fact that I will stumble. I know that I'm going to stumble. Cause like I said, I don't let it pass my lips. I keep it as a thought, but even with that, I know I'm not going to do everything perfectly, but that's just par for the course, right? Because this time of the year, when I think about it, it's good for me because if you know, we talked about SAD, the sad disorder, right? Where fall going into winter and I would tell you how it would make me feel so melancholy and I didn't want to be bothered with anything. Well, spring is the exact opposite. I'm totally excited that spring is here. Not that I was too excited about giving up that hour. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't that excited, but I do like the fact that the weather is going to be getting warmer and it's just going to be trees are going to be blooming. It's just going to be a nice feel in the atmosphere. So with that, I say once again, people, welcome to spring. So for all of you who missed the launch party on Tuesday night on Facebook for She Speaks for Him, Black Voices of Wisdom, it actually went on sale last Tuesday and it's available now on Amazon. So I hope that you all go and pick up a copy or not pick up because we, I guess Barnes and Noble might have it too. Yeah. But I know it's definitely on Amazon. You can order it. And I would like to say thank you to all of you that tuned in into the Facebook live launch. It was amazing. It was such an amazing night. And if you weren't able to catch the launch, wow, you would have had the opportunity to meet the authors and hear their stories from their own words. Like what prompted them to write that particular story? It was really moving. We had a DJ who was playing music. We gave away prizes. It was really a fun time. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And can I tell you something? Something else that has been uh, running through my mind? I am actually looking forward to the day when I can do an actual book signing in person. Could you imagine that we're, we're actually in a bookstore or in some type of venue and you guys are standing there and you want me to actually sign the book for you. I am so looking forward to that. I really am. And now speaking of giving giveaways, I have something to give away. Now, you know, I announced the contest last week for anyone that wanted to receive a copy, a signed copy of my book. You know, you had to send me your name through my email, W, no W, that's, I'm getting ready to give you my Instagram. What would K say at gmail.com? Or you had to drop me your name in Instagram, uh, W, W, 
say today, but I have a winner. I have a winner and I am so happy to announce drum roll, please. I should have got a drum roll, but I didn't even get a drum roll. I don't want to start messing up stuff over here. I am not that computer savvy. You know how I am and I'm not going to just imagine you hear a drum roll playing in your mind. Drum roll. And the winner is Carlene Burke Fernandes. Congratulations to you, Carlene. You will receive a signed copy of She Speaks for Him, Black Voices of Wisdom. I know you're going to enjoy the book. And after you read the stories, I would like for you to go to the book page on Amazon and leave a review. We would greatly appreciate it, me and all the ladies. We would love to hear what you think of it, what you thought of our stories. And I'm also thinking about in the future, I'm planning on having a few of the women on the show so they can talk about their stories as well. I just have to figure out how I'm going to do it. I haven't quite gotten there yet, but I am working on it. So I thank everyone that sent in their names. I love doing this. And I think I just may do some more giveaways. It was really fun. So now, today, we are going to look into the life of Miriam, continuing with our Women's History Month, we're going to talk about the life of Miriam. And I know all of you are wondering, who's Miriam? Well, for those of you who are wondering, I'm going to tell you in a minute. But before I begin, I want to remind everyone that City Running Tours is now offering neighborhood running tours. These tours are designed to give you a unique opportunity to learn the history of the New York City neighborhoods that you are currently running through. You can choose from 23 different tours of neighborhoods in Manhattan, Queens, Brooklyn, and the Bronx. For a list of neighborhoods and a full tour schedule, check out their website at www.cityrunningtours.com slash New York City. And also check out their live tours every Saturday at 10 a.m. on Instagram.com slash City Running Tours. Now, for those of you who don't know who Miriam is, Miriam was a prophetess and she was the sister of Moses and Aaron. So today we're going to continue our journey into Women's History Month and we're going to study her, right? So now, we first meet Miriam when she brought Moses to the Nile when they were going around killing all the kids, all the, all the male babies. They was always going around killing the male babies, right? Well, this was another time when they were going around killing the male babies and Moses's mother had his sister take him to the Nile in a basket and let him float down the river to save his life. Now, I don't know how. Now, it had to be desperate times if you think about it. Because if you're a mother and you'd rather take your baby, put him in a basket and float him down a river as opposed to keeping him, because you know if you kept him, he was surely going to die. But you figured there was a good possibility that he might not die letting the basket float down the river. That's something to think about. So as it were, she let Moses go in the basket and it was Miriam 
that took him to the Nile to, and watched the basket float down. So she followed the basket as it was going down the river. And as you all know the story, the basket floated over to, uh, it was an area where Pharaoh's sister, her maids were at the river, probably washing something for her. They saw the basket, fetched the basket, brought the basket into her, and lo and behold, it was a baby. She took the baby back to the palace. The Pharaoh said, okay, fine, that's your son. We're going to raise him. That We're going to raise him as being your son. That's my nephew. I'm going to raise him to be the next Pharaoh. So fast forward into Moses' life. We all know the story of all of you who have seen the Ten Commandments, Charles, Charleston, Charlton Heston, how he played Moses. He killed the, the Egyptian slave because they were beating up on the Jews as they were making the bricks to build the pyramids, yada, yada. You all know the story. Fast forward, he runs into the wilderness because he knew he had did something wrong. He had killed an Egyptian. You weren't supposed to kill an Egyptian. He killed him. So he's in the wilderness now. And then, of course, God tells him, you know, you're going to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. You all know the story. But now here it is. We fast forward all the way to the Red Sea. They're already to the Red Sea through the Red Sea. Here, Miriam surfaces again. Because after, after she sees the basket go to Bithia, that's it. That's the end of Miriam. You don't hear anything more about her. Now here it is, Miriam's a grown woman. She's known as being a prophetess, right? But that was the first time you had ever heard of that term prophetess in the Bible. She was the first one ever given that title. It was never applied to any other woman in the Bible before Miriam. So she's given the role as prophetess, right? And... She, now here it is, they're at the Red Sea, they go through the Red Sea, and when, of course, you know the story that Pharaoh came after him, he came after Moses and the Israelites, because after he came to his census, he was like, oh no, why did I let them slaves go? Let me go get them back. So when he came to, when he went chasing after them, of course, you know, the Red Sea was parted, the Israelites walked through on dry ground. The water was on both sides. By the time they got to the other side of the Red Sea and the Egyptians was coming through with their chariots, God closed the sea on top of them. And as it was told, the bodies, there were so many bodies of them that they were just, their bodies was just welling up out of the sea. Afterwards, the dead bodies was just welling up out of the sea. And it was at that point where we meet Miriam again, because when she saw what God had done and how all the bodies was welling up all over the dead bodies, she led the woman in the, she led the women of the camp in a dance and a chant and a song to give praise to God for what he had done, releasing them from their bondage and captivity and for killing their enemy as it was as the enemy was coming to try to capture them again. So now fast forward through that. Now here it is. She's a prophetess. Aaron is a priest. Moses is the one that God chose to lead the people out, right? So they all have been touched by God in one form or another 
to do what it is that they have to do for him. So here's Miriam and Aaron, right? They start talking about Moses because they don't like the fact that Moses is married to a Cushite woman. How dare he? Then on top of that, he go, you know what? Rather than me telling you the story, I'm just going to read you the verses so you can get the full story for yourself. And then we're going to break it down. So I'm going to start reading from Numbers chapter 12, verse 1 through 16, right? And here is where she begins to speak against Moses with her brother Aaron, okay? So chapter 12, verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman who he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses, the man Moses was very humble than all men who were in the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward. Then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. When then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. Then Aaron turned towards Miriam and there she was a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh my Lord, Please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly and in, in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be the one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, please heal her. Oh God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, if your father had but spit in her face, would she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days and afterwards she may re be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people moved from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Now, blessed is the reading of the word. So now 
We have all that vileness of human nature exposing itself in so many different ways in those passages, right? Now, it begins with the disdain that Miriam had for Moses' wife, Zephorah. Zipporah, I think her name is Zipporah. She speaks her mind when she expresses her opposition to Moses' wife, right? Moses married the Ethiopian woman. That's an Ethiopian woman. That's what they said. But Miriam didn't like it. And she, with everything else, once she began talking, she began talking. You know how sometimes we start out talking about one thing and then as we're standing there and we're running our mouth, then other things come out and other things come out and other things come out. Well, she didn't like the fact that Moses was married to an Ethiopian. Then she started thinking about, oh, is Moses the only one that God speaks through? He speaks to everybody. So here it is, her murmuring. She started murmuring, right? So how many of us are aware of when we start murmuring and complaining when it comes to God? We know he is not fond of that at all. So when she started talking, you know it wasn't going to turn out well, right? It was bad enough that she was talking about her sister-in-law, probably like a dog. And then, as we learn from the scriptures, it went from her fussing in verse 3 to hearing it in verse 4. It says, and the Lord heard it. Now, that's the equivalent of saying, if you have siblings, you're in the living room and you're fussing, fussing, fighting over whatever you're fighting over, the TV remote, maybe a game you're playing, whatever it is. So everybody's yelling and saying things like, oh, you're so stupid. You get on my nerves, blah, blah, blah. And your mother's in the kitchen and she hears you. And the next thing you know, she's calling the two of you to the kitchen where she is. That's exactly what God did. Oh, you talking? Miriam, Moses, Aaron, can I talk to you for a minute? So now once you know that this happens, it's going to be on and popping, right? So here we have it. He called Moses, Miriam, and Aaron to come to the tabernacle door, right? Because he wanted to speak to them. But then when he called all three of them, he only really wanted the other two. He called all three, but he really wanted Aaron and Miriam. And here it is. This is what he says. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud, right? And he stood in the door and he's like, hello. Did you hear my words? Like, he's looking like, wait, when I speak to you, I speak to you in visions and dreams. Not when I speak to Moses. It's like, when I speak to Moses, because he is faithful in my house, I speak to him face to face, plain. I don't mince my words when I'm talking to him, right? He sees me who I am as the Lord. So how could you feel so empowered to speak against somebody that I look at as being who I look at him being. How dare you? You know what I'm saying? It's almost like God was saying, how dare you? How dare you speak against him and you know how I am with him? So then God, right? He told him. Now, the whole thing about this story, when I think about it, right? And I know I'm saying it very you know, very loose and I'm giving a whole big story about it. But when I think about it, it's like, number one, you don't speak about God's anointed, right? You don't speak against his anointed. And 
You weren't even supposed to be speaking against him regardless, because here it is. Each one of you had your position in God. Moses was the one that he used to do things through. Aaron was the priest and Miriam was the prophetess, right? But only Miriam had to pay the price for her speech because even though they says that she was, it was her and Aaron talking, it was Miriam doing the talking. Cause I never see anything that Aaron said back. I never saw anything that he said. Yeah. And then he went and married that Ethiopian. How dare he do that to our fit? I never heard Aaron say a word. It was just Miriam doing the talking. Right. But when we get serious with it and Miriam is the one that has to pay the price because when God finished talking to the both of them, when he left, she was the one that was struck with the leprosy. She was the one that was white as snow. So, and for all of you who don't know what leprosy is, leprosy is a contagious disease that affects the skin, the mucous membranes and nerves causing discoloration and lumps on the skin and in severe cases, disfigurement and deformities. So now here it is because of her jealous pride, right? She was jealous and she was so prideful and we don't know why she was jealous or prideful, but we could probably think, who knows? She might've been jealous of Moses's wife because she was beautiful, right? She was an Ethiopian woman. Who knows? Zipporah, I keep messing up her name. Zipporah might've been walking through that camp looking like the best thing since sliced bread, right? So Miriam was jealous. And number two, Miriam was jealous that she, this woman is with my brother, the one who God speaks through. So how did she get to be next to the number one man? Right. But it also stands to reason too, because you never hear of Miriam having a family. They never said that she was married. They never said that she had any children. They only gave her the title of that. She was a prophetess and that she was the sister of Moses and Aaron. So who knows her pride? She heard from God, of course, because if she was a prophetess, that means God spoke to her, which he reminded her. I speak to my prophets through dreams and visions, but she wanted more. She wanted more. She wanted to be up there in the limelight as well. But no, God wasn't going to talk to her like he spoke to Moses and she was annoyed with that. So the one thing, the thing that I'm getting from this and the reason why I chose her is because we have to be so careful when we allow what we feel and what we, how can I put it? How can I put it? We have to be so careful when we're walking in our calling, not to let our calling take over, meaning that we can't get so high on ourselves because God may speak to us or use us as vessels for the moment because God could use whoever he wants. It's his choosing to use whomever he wants to get his message out. So I never want any of us to get too comfortable. And I'm saying this to myself as well. And I pray I always stay humble. So far I've been doing a good job with it, but I don't 
ever want to get to the point where because God is using me to get the word out that I start feeling like I'm somebody, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm more than what I should be or more than even what I should be thinking of myself because I'm nobody unless he's using me. I'm no one unless he is using me. And we all have to keep that in mind. Everything we do, we're doing it to his glory. So there's no way it's going to be glory if we're talking about his other children that are doing what he told them to do. That's not going to be glorious that we're talking about them like that. He's not going to like that. So we all have a part to play, right? We all have a part to play and everyone has their own part. So whatever part it is that you have to play, that's your part. Don't be jealous of the next one because that's their part and everybody's part is important. And that's what I really want us to get out of that. The body of Christ, we all have our own parts to play. So don't ever be looking at, oh, well, why is he doing this with that one? Or why does this one happen? Be happy for the lane that he put you in. Just be happy for the way that he uses you. Be happy for whatever it is that he has to use you for. And I think that's what the biggest problem is with the body of Christ. We're always looking and wondering why this one has that, why this one got more than me. How come I can't have that? It's not for you to have that. It's for you to have whatever it is he gave you to have, right? We have to be content with the role and purpose that God has given each of us to do and do it to the best of our abilities with the talents that he gave us to do it. So here we could all learn from Miriam. A, God pays attention to what his people say and do to one another, right? And in order to be able to please God, B, we must avoid all forms of pride and jealousy, traits that will certainly cause us to smear the good reputation of others, right? Just be mindful, people. And as they say, stay in your lane. With that, it's time to take a music break. You have been listening to What Would Kay Say here on Radio Free Brooklyn, What Brooklyn Sounds Like. If I I feel afraid of leaving what's safe, but I can't stay here. If I fall, will you catch me? And the look on their face Say I'm 
us together. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. You are listening to What Would Kay Say? And I am your host, Kay Edwards. It is now time for the part of the show that we call Op-Ed. Now in today's Op-Ed, I want to talk about, I received an article, an article from a listener that was brought to my attention. And that's what I like you guys to do. I want to put that out there. Anytime you come across an article that you think is noteworthy for everyone else to find out about, send it to me in my email, what would say at gmail.com and I'll read through it. And if I feel that it's, you know, something that the people need to hear about, I'm going to speak about it in op-ed. So this week in op-ed, I received an article from a listener and the title of the story, it was written in the Detroit News. The title of the story is U.S. US Historical Places Often Fail to Mention Ties to Slavery. Now, the article goes on to read that antebellum southern plantations were built on the backs of enslaved people. And many of those plantations hold places of honor on the National Register of Historic places. But don't look for many mentions of slavery in the government's official record of places with historic significance. The registers written entries on the plantations tend to say almost nothing about the enslaved people who picked the cotton and tobacco and cut the sugarcane that paid for ornate homes that today serve as wedding venues bed and breakfast inns, tourist attractions, and private homes, some of which tote their inclusion on the National Register like a gold star. The National Register of Historic Places lists more than 95,000 sites that are important to the story of the United States. From some of the most famous places such as George Washington's Mount Vernon Estate, to scores of lesser known plantation homes in the rural South, register entries often ignore the topic of slavery or mention it only in passing, an Associated Press review found. Experts blame a a generational lack of concern for the stories of black people and in many cases, a shortage of records. While some narratives have been updated to include information about enslavement, such changes aren't mandatory and many have not. The story goes on to talk about how the entry for Thomas Jefferson's mountaintop home in Monticello notes that the third president owned as many as 200 slaves, yet it generally avoids discussing them or the details of their ownership by the author of the Declaration of Independence. And they're saying that the omission likely contributed to the loss of slave housing and other structures linked to the economy of enslavement because no one deemed them important to be preserved. So now when you think about it, okay, yes, these homes are historic. Yes, these homes do, you know, they have a place in American history, but keep the whole story true. Don't just tell half the story. Don't just keep the pretty white house that was kept up by the slaves, but the shacks that was on the side where they actually lived in, you want to destroy those. Like those weren't a part of the land when everybody was enslaved in chains and picking cotton. 
How could you tell half a story? If you're going to tell a story that, yes, this is where Thomas Jefferson lived, or yes, this is where George Washington lived, and it was this plantation, everybody knows that they had slaves. Everybody knows this. So why would you destroy the slave homes? Why? Because they weren't as pretty as the white picket fenced house that you want to have people come through now and say, oh, this is where the first president of the United States lived. But yet you should be able to say, this is where the president of the United States lived, the father of our country, and here's where he housed his slaves because we know he had 300 of them. What's the problem with keeping them in the narrative? What's the problem? And see, that's where the problem comes in. That's where the problem stems from. If you're going to tell a narrative, tell the whole narrative. And as Hassan Kwame Jeffries, who is an associate professor at the Ohio State University, he stated it so correctly. The way that the, inc the stories are incompletely told, it reflects the way the public ignores the topic of enslaved people. How can you come to the table and say, yes, we need to understand what is happening here. We need to understand what happened in history. If everything that's attached to the people that you're trying to come to the table with, you've erased it as though it never existed. So what are you now reflecting back on? So in your mind, Slavery didn't happen. It wasn't that bad because you don't have the shacks and the houses to look at where these people were living at the time when they were kept as slaves. You, you destroyed all that because it, it, what it didn't go with the pu the beautiful property, but that's not the only part of the story that I find quite disturbing. There's another part. Okay. Here's where it gets really interesting. Congress established the National Register of Historic Places under a 1966 Historic Preservation Act aimed at coordinating preservation work and highlighting the nation's most historic sites. Along with bragging rights, a listing on the National Register can help property owners financially. More than $160 billion has been invested in preserving 44,000 historic places nationwide under a tax credit program approved in 1976, according to the National Park Service, which oversees the program. Property owners, local groups, and government agencies nominate sites for inclusion on the, on the National Register, noting architectural features, historic, sig historic significance, and other information. State preservation offices review the nominations and submit them to the Park Service for final decision. Okay, so all that in a nutshell is saying how you want to say and I'm going to even fast forward it to today because some of the argument has been, well, you're always talking about slavery. It wasn't me that enslaved you. It wasn't me that had done all these things to you. I wasn't back then. Yeah, you're right. You might not have been back then, but you best believe you still cashing in coins on the fact that there were slaves that helped build that house. Because if you have your house, on the registry and they're 
putting money into it because they think of this, they're thinking of your house as a national historic site that needs to be preserved. You're collecting coins to keep that house looking the way it is for you to do whatever it is that you do with it. So don't tell me you're still not profiting off the fact that there was slavery here in America. So if you're going to really come to the table and sit at the table and act as though you understand what's going on, you need to recognize what's going on. And that's the end of op-ed. But now I have some other good news to tell you people. I got some other information from another listener and they were telling me about a scholarship fund. Now this scholarship fund is looking for men, right? They want males to join the Mahari medical program. Now this is a program that is funded under the Tennessee state university and Mahari medical college where students would go to Tennessee state university for three years and then go on to Mahari and finish to become a MD or a DDS in seven years instead of the traditional eight years. They're saying that they have enough females in the program, but they don't have enough males and they have no black males. So if you know of any black males who are high school seniors and they want to become a doctor or a dentist, they have to have 28 on the ACT and a 3.5 GPA, and they can possibly get a free ride from Tennessee State University and get there, become a doctor or become a dentist. Now, if you want information, the candidates information, they should go into ask for a perspective, a, a perspective from now take this down, Gussie, G U S S I E dot Fuller F U L L E R at gmail.com. Or you can go to www T-N-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U slash Watkins, W-A-T-K-I-N-S. And now what I'm going to do, I'm going to post this on my Facebook page, which is Kenya Z. Edwards. I'm going to post it on my Instagram page and I'm going to post it on my Twitter page as well. And it's also going to be on the His Apparel pages because, you know, anything I do on my pages, I also put it on the His Apparel because that's where I started. So if anyone knows anyone that falls under, you know, that falls into this criteria, drop me an email at whatwouldksay at gmail.com and I will forward you all the information that I just mentioned. But now it looks like my time is winding down. So with that, I'm going to say we know our word of the month is disingenuous. That was our word. And our prayer for this month, not prayer for this month, our promise for this week is going to be, I'm going to keep it with what I started out with today. We're going to keep it with Philippians 4 and 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. With that, I say, people, COVID is still out there. Wear your mask, wash your hands, social distance. If you're going to go out, the weather is going to start getting gorgeous this week. It is the beginning of spring. 
Restaurants are open to 50% capacities. Be careful, people. Be mindful. Yes, we want to get out. Yes, we've all had cabin fever, but let's do it in increments and let's do it the proper way. Let's not just go willy-nilly and forget what's going on. So with that, I say be safe, be kind to one another, love one another, and until God brings us together again next week, Sé muy bien que hay gente en este mundo que jamás te va a entender y para qué creer en algo que no tocas y no puedes ver. Yo te lo digo porque un día me pasó. Más fácil ir con lo que el mundo me entregó. Pero un día sentado sentí que estaba. Yo te he pensado, tu historia no estará estancada en el pasado. Yo te llevo puesto si la espalda te hayan.